Um, how many people have a dream from God? How many wake up and go to sleep every day with a promise in your heart? How many ponder, contemplate, and long for a deep desire at the forefront of your affection? Something that you wake up with, you go to sleep with, you think about it throughout the day. And in fact, there is an awareness of the aforementioned. Surely there has been effort put into making it a reality. If this thing is burning in your heart, and if it is something that you think about, and it is something that you contemplate, and it is something that you deeply desire, there has to be some sort of effort that you've put into making it a reality, whether small or whether large. If it is really, in fact, something burning in your heart, there has been some effort put into it. For everything desired there is a prerequisite to be considered. For everything that it is that we want, everything that it is that we pursue, we always want to know what are the surrounding circumstances to obtaining it. For there are conditions surrounding every desire, even the one that you have, the one that you wake up with and you go to sleep with, the one that you think about. When you are serious about securing what you desire, you find out what it requires. You do your homework, you do your research, you do everything that you have to do to know what it takes for this thing to become yours. If it's a business, you begin to research business, LLCs. You consult an attorney. You do all of the things surrounding making this specific business a reality. If it's a home, you start to research what it takes to get a home. You start getting your credit together. You start making sure that your tax returns are in order. You start doing all of the things that are necessary around uh, getting a home. If it's a love interest, you start semi-stalking, you get on Facebook and you start finding out what it is they like and where they're going to be. Y'all don't act funny. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. I was single once upon a time. When you like somebody, you find out what they like. Oh, y'all some stalkers. Y'all some semi-stalkers up in here. Yeah, you start to find out what it's going to take to obtain what it is you want. See, but here's the thing. There are some things that we can produce or bring to pass with our eyes closed, requiring little to no effort, prayer requests, uh, asking people stuff. You don't have to do any of that. It comes very easily. But there are some things that no matter what we can get our hands on and what it is that we can obtain and what it is that we can make ours, there just seems to be some things that escape us. That no matter the effort, no matter the work that is put in, no matter the things that we do, we can get everything else except for this one thing. And a lot of times it's the same desire that you wake up with and you go to sleep with. It becomes the thing that is burning in your heart. You can get all of the other things surrounding it with all of your effort, little to none. But this one thing, it seems like with all of the effort that you've put into it, it's some part of it that is out of your control. No matter the amount of work, effort, prayer, sacrifice, education, hope, desire, they either escape our grasp or worse. The worse 
is that the result of having given so much and done so much and prayed so much and sacrificed so much that the totality of the effort given does not match the result. I think it's worse when you've done so much and then the return is so little. I would rather have done so much and got nothing than for the return to be so little because when the return is little, it almost feels like that's the end and that's it. That it's done. I did all of this. And this is the only thing that I walked away with. I was expecting so much more. And this is the point where disappointment starts to set in. And there becomes voices that begins to speak against the dream or the thing or the purpose that we wake up with and we go to sleep with. We start to doubt, did I really hear God or was this just me? Or is this something else or what am I missing? And we start to ask all of these questions about this one thing that seems to escape our reality. And usually, when is this case? When you have done so much and you have given so much and there is no fruit, it or you are considered to be barren. What is the definition of barren? The Webster's Dictionary of barren says not producing or incapable of producing offspring, sterile, unproductive, unfruitful, without the ability to evoke interests or to attract, not producing results, fruitless. But let me be very, very clear about something. A thing cannot be considered barren or unfruitful unless the surrounding prerequisites to obtain or achieve the thing desired have been attempted, tried, and exhausted multiple times. See, I'm not talking to the people that haven't even tried at all. I'm not talking to the people that have not even put any action to their faith or to their confection. I'm talking to the people that have literally tried everything. You've gone around, you've gone through, you've gone over, God told you to do this and you did it, or, or all of your research and all of the things that you've looked at, you've tried it and you've done it and you still don't have the intended or the desired result. You exerted all of your effort, all of your gift, all of your talent, all of your ability, your resources, and that thing still is not there. When you have done what is required, when you have been intimate and there is still no baby. This is considered barren. So we saw what Webster's definition of barren was. But I need to bring this home. So I have a definition of what we call barren. Please put it up on the screen. I gave it all I got and I still don't got what I thought I'd get. I did ABC one, two, three, just like they told me to and still nothing. I'm going back around this mountain again, Lord. I can't believe that I'm still here. I invested two years, three months, six days and $50,000 only to receive a check for 500. They still don't know who I am. They still disrespect me. I'm still underestimated. I'm still misunderstood. I've apologized 10 times, 10 different ways and still no forgiveness. My business is still struggling. My marriage is still struggling. 
struggling. My family is still struggling. My kids are still on the blink. I went to school, have student loans, and I'm still working a job that is beneath my ability. I'm still not married. I'm still divorced. I still have no children. I wasn't happy then, and I'm not happy now. Still rejected, still broke, still frustrated, still this, still that. Unbarren. When you've done everything and in between and all around, and you're still going around the same mountain, still in the same spot, but you are haunted by this dream, by this desire, by this thought. Many of us who didn't dream it up on our own or think it up on our own, but it has been in our heart since conception. It is something that God has spoken to us about, and it seems like we're moving with him, but this thing is still not producing what we thought it would produce. But the definition of barrenness as spoken by us, this verbiage or this confession is the result of not understanding one fact. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. See, we usually quote this verse at funerals when people are passing because after this it says a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up. And we have made this verse cliche. We have made it a funeral verse, but no, in fact, it is a life verse. It is something that we live by. And when talking about purpose, it is something that is married to it. This understanding keeps you from your definition of barrenness. This understanding keeps you in a place to where you can understand that there is a time and there is a purpose and there is a season set for the thing that is you in your heart. You see, season in this verse comes from the Hebrew word zaman, which means a set time. Time in this verse comes from the Hebrew word Wait, it is actually spelled W-A-E-T, but we're going to say wait like W-A-I-T because this is a part of what we're speaking tonight. It is an event or occurrence. Experiences or fortunes is what it means. Purpose in this verse means a delight or a pleasure. It is a desire or a longing, a good pleasure, one that we take delight in. You see, to everything, to every purpose, not just the things that we dream up or we think up, but the things in our heart that bear purpose, they have a set time. If you don't take away anything else tonight, if you don't take away any other quote, take this away with you. When it's purposed, it is planned. When it's purposed, it is planned. You see, we tend to think of God as he just put us here, we're born, we're here, and that he puts us in the earth and then he says, go and do. That he takes his hands off of us. But the reality is 
We have been birthed into this world and into this earth at a time that he has deemed necessary for a purpose bigger than many of us even know. He has literally planned our lives out. And and a lot of times we'll say the verse, you know, my steps are ordered. The, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And we tend to believe that those are steps that he's preordained and we have to walk in those steps perfectly in order to get to the purpose. But the reality is he orders the steps that he wants wanted us to take and the ones that he didn't. He knows how to put them into place to get us to where we should be according to his will for he is so masterful. He knew the mistakes that you would make before you made them and he knew the victories that you would have before you had them and he has put all of them together into this great will and this great purpose that is planned for your life. But the issue becomes the reason why it is hard for us to swallow Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 and the understanding that there is a time attached to the purpose in our heart is that for many of us we have made this thing that is in our heart about us. And the truth is, yes, it is about you, but it's about way more than you. Because if it's just about you, wow, that thing ain't really that significant. But when it is attached and when the reality is that it is attached to other things and other people, the truth of its significance expands in your heart and in your mind. When it is true purpose or a dream from God, it is always with creation in mind. It is always about more than just us. It's usually the things that are just about you that are readily available and easy to obtain. When it's just about you, these are the things that require no effort to get them. When you're waiting on a good wife, it takes time. But when you're waiting on just a side piece to get you through the moment, they're everywhere you are. They are easy to get. When you're waiting on the husband that God has for you is going to take time and God is preparing you and cultivating you. But when you're just looking for somebody to take you out to dinner and somebody to just peck on a little bit or somebody to just get all of your feelings all gussied up, they're everywhere. That's how you end up in trouble. Oh, that's easy to get. Trouble is easy to find. Trouble is easy to get into. But it's something about the straight and narrow line that you have to walk on. This is the thing that's difficult. Listen, when you are doing things that are just about you, oh, it's easy. It's easy. If you have no trouble getting your hands on it, it's probably about you. But when it is a God thing, it's something about the steps that it takes to get to that thing. It feels difficult. It feels uncomfortable. It feels awkward. It feels anti your flesh. It feels anti your personality. It feels anti you. It feels anti you wanting to move out of the moment because when it's God, he's more concerned about the preparation that it takes to get the thing than just how you feel when you get something that's just about you. Oh, Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 is difficult for the one that believes that what is in their heart is just about them. See, all of creation 
is groaning and waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. All of creation is groaning and waiting for you to understand that this thing in your heart is not just about you. It's about all of creation because we are interconnected and God has connected us. My purpose is connected to yours. My destiny is connected to yours. We are all connected. This thing has never just been about you. Which brings me to Judges 13. You see, the children of Israel, who are like many of us, stayed in trouble. Listen, I have never seen a people that stayed in so much trouble. Like, And you know, I want to talk about them, but I do see some of myself. Let's just be real, that you see a little bit of yourself in the children of Israel. And so they stayed in trouble, and they was in trouble again, and they had made God upset again. And so he went on ahead and let the Philistines have their way with him. You see, all of us have enemies that we're aware of and not aware of. But the Bible says that when your ways please the Lord, he will make your enemies to be at peace with you. It don't mean that they like you. It don't mean that they don't still want to whoop up on you. But when your ways are pleasing him, he has a way of subduing the enemy. And so the children of Israel's ways stopped pleasing the Lord. So he said, you know what? I'm going to just let y'all go on ahead and see what I was to you, how I was keeping you safe, how you all were free from calamity. And so I'm going to just go ahead and let the uh, Philistines have their way. And so here they were again under a time period where they were being persecuted for 40 years. And so God in his mercy began to hear their cry. He began to hear their affliction. And he said, all right, I'm going to rescue you guys again. Now pay attention. The problem was they were being persecuted and they needed a savior. And so in verse 1, it says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, y'all. I mean, they stayed in trouble. They get on my nerves. Did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites who named was Manoah. And his wife was barren. Somebody said barren. And had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have no children. But you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. See, some of y'all would have been out from right there. He'd be like, never mind, let me go find somebody else. Because he's saying you can't drink, you can't eat nothing unclean. Y'all would have just been done. See, that's the problem, you're not ready. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Somebody say from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now see, this is where God was coming and prophesying that Samson would be born. Samson's whole purpose for being birthed was to deliver 
the people of Israel from the Philistines. And so remember when I said that our destinies are connected and our purposes are interwoven. God is so masterful that he said, now I have cursed them to 40 years of punishment and 40 years of suffering by the Philistines, but I'm going to make good on my promise that at the end of the 40th year, there will be a deliverer there for them to deliver them. And so in the midst of their affliction, here he was already setting time and purpose in order, going to Manoah's wife to birth Samson into this world and into this reality. And I, I, the, the whole purpose of this message is dealing with what we call barren. She'd been called barren. She had no children. There was a reproach on her in society. Women in that day that could not birth children, especially sons, were considered having a reproach or their value was diminished. God could have birthed Samson into any womb, any reality, but it's funny that he chose someone who was considered barren. It's not just because, oh, I like her. I want to give her a baby. But there's something about a person who has not experienced the joy and the reality of the thing that they've wanted for so long. When it is given to them, they do not take it for granted. You see, this purpose that was being birthed as a deliverer, there were surrounding requirements that I spoke of. There were surrounding things that God said, now listen, this isn't just your average baby. He is a Nazarite in the womb from birth. That means before he even came here, Remember in Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 that it said that to everything under the heaven, in this reality, we are guarded and we are, we, we have to follow time. But in heaven, it is eternal. It is already purposed. What we live here, our purpose here has already been purposed in heaven, in eternity. But when we come here, there is time and God is governing your purpose and the reality and the exposure of it by time. And so he had to give Samson who had very specific surrounding elements into a womb that will follow the instructions. It wasn't just enough to say, now when he's born, he can't have any strong drink and he can't cut his hair or have any unclean thing. But the Bible says that he was a Nazarite from the moment of conception, from the moment that he was purposed in the womb, his purpose was already being shaped. And it was important that the carrier followed the instructions that would follow the purpose. It wasn't just enough for Samson to be born and not be able to cut his hair or eat anything unclean or drink any drink, but it was important for the mother and the carrier also to follow it. But if she had already had 10 babies and if she had already experienced the joy of several children, she may have thought, oh, this ain't no big thing. This is something I have birthed from my own effort. But when you're barren and when you've tried it all on your own and when you've tried this a million times and you've been intimate a million times and there's been no baby and you know it's something that you haven't done, when the Lord appears and says, this is the thing I'm going to do and when I do it, these are the instructions to follow. It is something about somebody who's been called barren that will follow those instructions because this thing is way more precious to the one who hasn't experienced it. And perhaps 
your lack of fruit is about preparing you for the instructions that are surrounding the thing that God wants to do. If he would have done it when you wanted him to do it, you may have thought that this instruction wasn't necessary, that it was just a gray area or something that you could bend on or throw out. But it's something about having to wait and doing everything that you want to do and you could do and not experience it. But when God shows up after you've exhausted everything and says, I'm going to do this thing, but this is what you have to do to maintain it and to cultivate it inside of your womb, you're going to do what he says. You see, Samson had a purpose for being birthed into this world and into this reality. He wasn't just here to be their baby. He was here to be a deliverer. There was a set time for him. And God didn't just wait at the end of the 40 years to say, all right, now Samson's going to be born and we got to wait for him to get older. No, at the end of the 40 years, Samson was already of age and he was ready to fulfill his purpose that God put him there for, faults and all, problems and all. He was a deliverer for the children of Israel. You see, true purpose solves a problem and meets a need outside of us. You know that it's purposed by God when when you release it, it solves more than just making you feel valid and good. It solves a problem and it meets a need for somebody other than just you, other than just your family, other than just the people you like and you love. It becomes an answer to more when it is true purpose. It meets something inside and outside of you. You see, when it's purposed, it is planned. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Speaking of barren wombs or what's considered barren. And man, I don't want to weird you out. I know y'all sitting here like, I can't handle baby. I ain't got no womb. Listen. We were created in God's image and likeness. The Bible calls him the multi-breasted one. We were taken from Adam. We became womb man. God separated Adam and gave us the womb. The womb is simply a birthing place. It is simply a place of nurturing. So ladies, look at your brother. Manny, you got a womb. Tank, you got a womb. All of y'all, y'all got a womb. Got a little womb. Got a little womb, Dorian. You got a womb. Chris, you got a womb. I want y'all to feel weird. Brandon, my womb brother. You got a womb. And so here we are again at another problem, and I'm getting ready to wrap up. But here we are at another problem. Eli was the set prophet in Israel. And he was getting up in age, and technically his sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, should have been in place to take over what he was doing. Now, they'd been trained. They were in place, but they were so immoral. Not only were they taking the offerings directly off of the altar, but they were sleeping with the women in the church. I mean, they, they were so ungoverned. As good of a prophet and a man of God as Eli was, he had absolutely no control over his sons. And so because God looked on this, because remember, he's the ultimate steward and the ultimate manager. He knew that the children of Israel would need a replacement because Eli 
Eli was getting up in age and he knew that the replacement in place was not fit. So he said, I have to raise up another because his lineage right now is not fit. And so here we are. Now, there was a certain man in verse one from, you know, y'all know where he is. I'm not even about to try to pronounce this. And I'm good with English, but not tonight. (laughs) From the hill country of Ephraim. (laughs) And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But here, but the Lord closed her womb. Listen, you notice that the Bible doesn't call her barren. It simply says that the Lord closed her womb. It doesn't mean that there wasn't seed inside of her womb. It just means that the seed to produce it could not get in. God closed her womb for a specific purpose. And we know that Samuel will be birthed through Hannah. But he was already putting in motion a replacement for this position. And Eli's position When you became a priest, you literally had to kind of separate yourself and walk away from everything. Even the time and the years of being cultivated to be a priest, it wasn't just like graduating from college and you're in your 20s and you go and you become a priest. No, they had to be put into the temple as children. And so God had a purpose. He needed to be able to produce such an important role through a person who understood and could cultivate this. But the issue with him, Hannah right now was that she had an adversary and she was busy comparing. She had the other wife there who was just popping out babies and producing left and right. She had many sons and she had many daughters and the Bible says, but Hannah had none. And if you know the story, you know that Penina wasn't gracious about her winnings. It ain't nothing worse than a sore winner. There's somebody that's going to smear all their victories in your face. And this is what was going on. Penina was busy reminding Hannah about all of the children that she had. You know why? Because she knew she was not loved. She knew that Elkanah deeply loved Hannah. But it gets to a point that even all of this love is not enough to satisfy this deep longing and this need that is inside of you. And so she began to just cry and to weep and to cry out to God. And the Bible says, says that her adversary provoked her to soreness. Penina was on her night and day reminding her of what she had and what she didn't have. It wasn't just enough for her to sit and to see, but to have the thing you're sitting at and you're looking at speaking to you and tapping into all of your insecurities and into all of your problems. But the thing was, God needed to make sure that the womb that Samuel was birthed through was not an insecure womb, not a womb that was jealous and compassionate 
competitive, a womb that wanted this baby to be able to teach Penina a lesson because it was bigger than that. Remember, there was a problem. There was a vacancy getting ready to happen in the priesthood and God needed a fit priest. He didn't need somebody that was busy trying to produce a baby to say, see, I can too. See, I'm as good as you. See, I can do this also. It's something about a womb that has a seed in it that is birthing something just to be significant instead of from significance. And God was looking to teach Hannah and to cultivate this birthing place into a sense of purpose and an understanding that it was about more than just her, but that he needed this back into his service. And again, God, in choosing a barren womb, was looking for somebody who would want this thing bad enough that when he gave it to them, they would willingly give it back. Time will not allow me to tell the whole story, but God had to get Hannah to a place to where all of her efforts was exhausted, all of her pain was evident, all of the hurt and the turmoil brought her to a place of humility, that she made a vow and a commitment. God, if you do this, I will give him back to your service. He will belong to you. And the Bible says that when Hannah went home, and she slept with her husband that God remembered her and he opened her womb perhaps the thing that you are waiting on and the thing that you are longing for and the fruit that you are looking for is God is waiting on this womb to be in a place that it is cultivating something that you will willingly give back to him that you will have an understanding of what it is there for you see the womb is the place of cultivation where both the seed and the carrier are being prepared. The environment of the room will mirror the motive, intent, and purpose for which the seed was conceived. It's a reason that the Lord told Samson's mother that she's not to drink strong drink, that she's not to touch anything unclean. It wasn't that her diet couldn't handle it, but it was about what she was feeding. There's a reason that God carried about, cared about dealing with Hannah's motives and intentions and her intellect before allowing her to cultivate and to have seed inside of her because all of it is the atmosphere of the thing that you are producing. If it is birthed through jealousy, it will have to be maintained through jealousy. It will produce jealousy. If it is birthed through insecurity, it will be maintained in insecurity and birthed in insecurity. You know, it's a funny thing. When I was pregnant, and again, men, apply this to you as well. When I was pregnant, there came a point in my pregnancy where I was like literally eating the same thing every day. My cravings was the same. And one day I looked up in Kroger and there was literally only chicken and watermelon in my cart. I said, now I know the stereotypes, but I like what I like. I like chicken and I like watermelon. And yes, I just so happen to be black. <laughs> but wouldn't you know that both Haven and KK will live and die for some watermelon and some chicken. It's certain parts of my character and my nature that I saw in my children as babies 
with no time to teach them to be that. No time to teach them to be anything. They got it from conception, from the womb. I read a book. It is a psychology book called It Didn't Start With You. And this book was written by a man who was an atheist when he wrote it. But after all of his scientific research and everything he learned, he actually became a Christian after. And in this book, he talks about the power of the seed in the womb. About from the moment that we are conceived in our mother's womb, we are open to all of her experiences and even those that our father, the seed carrier, also had. And that from the moment that I was conceived in my mother's womb, when I was conceived, I already had eggs in my womb. So the eggs in my womb were also being cultivated by the atmosphere of the womb. So when you're talking about this in spiritual terms, a lot of times the issue becomes the time. To everything under heaven, there is a set time or a purpose for it. The issue for many of us becomes the time. How much time we feel like we're wasting. I wish I had time to go over all of the other examples of infertility and barrenness in the Bible, how Pastor Gail talked about last week, about Elizabeth, and about how John the Baptist was birthed through her womb. But the funny thing is, his whole purpose for being birthed into this earth was to be a forerunner for Christ, was to prepare the way for Christ. You see, God is such an awesome manager and a steward. He didn't just put Jesus on the earth and say, go and fulfill. He had somebody that was plowing the ground and preparing the way, getting people ready for the work that he would do. And his destiny was interconnected with John the Baptist to the point that when John the Baptist was in Elizabeth. Uh, womb. The Bible never said anything else about him moving or jumping until the moment that Mary went to visit her. And the Bible says that from the time she greeted Elizabeth, in that moment, John the Baptist leaped in his womb because purpose that was interconnected with purpose finally touched. You see, there was a moment where the reality of the purpose that both of them carried was seen and that it was understood. When we don't see that what we carry is about more than just us. The womb that this purpose is cultivated in is very selfish. It becomes very difficult for you to sacrifice and for you to give for something outside of you. And perhaps what you are calling barren is simply that God has reserved the time and the season for the fruit that he has placed inside of you to be birthed into this world for such a time as this, for such a moment as this, for such a season as this, for such a problem as this, for such a reality. Perhaps you are being prepared for something greater than what you know. Stand to your feet. You know, I know <clears throat> that... um. I have so many more notes, and perhaps I'll have to do a part two. But I want to bring up Esther um, as I get ready to close. 
You see, when there is a problem or there is a need, we see it, but God saw it long before. He saw all of the vacancies. He saw all of the issues that would arise. And what he does is he puts these dreams and these desires and these things in our hearts. And we live with them. We long for them. We, we nurture them. We pray over them. We sacrifice for them. We do everything that we have to do. But sometimes, God has closed our womb until it is time for that fruit to be produced because he has it set for a moment where it will shake history, where it will shape nations, where it will change lives, even if it's just one life that is meant to do more than what you are. But when you grow tired and when you grow weary and when you grow frustrated at the lack of results, instead of coming into an understanding of the set time that is over what is in your life and is in your heart, you begin to confess things that are anti-promise, anti-purpose, anti-a healthy birthing conception place. And tonight I challenge you to begin to align your heart with the timing and the purpose of God in this moment. Lift your hands. Father, we cry out for an understanding. Not just about your timing, but I pray for definition concerning the purpose that is within us. That we would not call ourselves fruitless or barren but that we will understand that we simply have fruit that is designated for a time and for a season.